Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. If you got about 20 minutes, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the Old Dogs ramble about nostalgia. As if we could remember anything. We report on a Japanese cafe where the waiters will probably forget your order. We bring you another edition of What Year It Was. We introduce you to a robber who posed as a mannequin. We celebrate the benefits of nostalgia, and we tell you how to be nice about your luggage on a plane. The Old Dog's conversation is with Kathy Beale, mistress of mayhem, the zany, and the arcane. If it's weird, Kathy has written about it. Stay with us. Hello there, Paul. Hey there. Hey, what's on your mind today? Well, I was just feeling nostalgic. Oh, you know, I was thinking back to the good old days. That would have been Monday and Tuesday of this week. (laughs) (laughs) We had a piece in this episode of our podcast about the benefits of nostalgia. Yeah. They're claiming there are health benefits, you know, make you happier, increase your self-esteem, find meaning in life. I don't know about all that, but I enjoy being nostalgic. How about you? Well, I do, too, and I do recognize the value of it. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if we're going to be like those guys that walked uh, to school in the snow both ways uphill, you know, that can't think of anything else to say except what happened in the distant past. But at the same time, I like being able to share uh, common memories, things that we shared in common as kids growing up or events in the world growing up. Um, I think that nostalgia kind of binds us together and says, yeah, there was something uh, going on in our lives. Okay, which which means you like to share it with people our age. Well, exactly. Yes, I would rather do that than, let's say, uh, you know, bend our grandkids' ears with that sort of nonsense. Because that kind of nostalgia always seems like we were better than you. Yeah, (laughs) we were tougher, braver, smarter. Yeah, uh, you know, our breath was fresher. I don't know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I th- I think when when you get together with friends who are of the same age, nostalgia just kind of creeps into the picture. You know, uh, creeps is a good word for it, by the way. What it creeps into the picture, <laughs> <laughs> slithers, <laughs> and I enjoy it. It's it's fun, you know, because I think in so many ways. Uh, you, you don't necessarily think you are your your childhood was better or necessarily worse than anybody else's, but it's just it's a warm fuzzy feeling to remember. It it is warm. Uh, it it gives you a, a pleasant feeling, um, and I think that it also is kind of validating. You know, we we did have a life. We we have fond memories that we like to uh, keep a hold of and share with other people. I think this is good for us anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Except again, our grandkids, I try very hard not to do that, Mm -hmm. not to pull out that card. And I'd rather, I'd rather try to be interested in what they're doing today. Right. And by the way, uh, very seldom do I hear the question, Hey pops, well, what was it like when you were young? (laughs) I don't hear that at all. Yeah, I I don't either. <laughs> I you know, they're supposed to be curious about our upbringing. Uh-uh. No, I think they're more curious about where they're going, where their future is. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I think and you're I, right. 
I hope someday they're cursed with grandkids who don't care what their childhood was like. <laughs> the Washington Post ran a story about an unusual cafe in Tokyo known as the Cafe of Mistaken Orders. The unusual part is that some of the servers are elderly people with dementia. Now, before you pass judgment on the business plan for the restaurant, understand that it's meant to be therapeutic for the servers. One dementia patient works as a server per hour. They are supported by young volunteers who help take orders and deliver the food. Now, customers understand the unusual nature of the restaurant, and they're willing to accept long waits for their order to arrive and the occasional wrong order at the right table, plus the fact that the server could wander <laughs> off before the meal is finished. Supporters say that the restaurant is a safe place where the dementia patients can interact with new people and feel productive and needed. The idea for the cafe was generated by a lack of caregivers and the cost of elderly care in Japan. It's helped dementia patients to remain mentally and physically active longer. Well, what a wonderful yeah. idea. It is. It is a great idea. And, you know, it got me thinking, Jim, mm. maybe we could open a restaurant and, and call it the Restaurant of Forgotten Names and Misplaced Car <laughs> Keys. What do you think? That's fine. Uh, what would we serve? Uh, uh. I forget. <laughs> So, our trivia challenge in this episode is, what year was it? We'll give you selected events from the year, and you guess which year it was. During this year... Congress sends the Equal Rights Amendment to the states for ratification. Bobby Fischer defeats Boris Spassky at the World Chess Championships in Iceland. Ceylon adopts a new constitution and changes its name to Sri Lanka. A terrorist group called Black September takes 11 Israeli athletes hostage at the Olympic Games. The hostages are later killed during a rescue attempt. HBO launches its programming with a showing of sometimes a great notion. Atari releases Pong, the first commercially successful video game. Ah, fond memories of Pong. Mm. And American Pie, written and sung by Don McLean, was number one for four weeks. For long weeks. The must-see movie was The Godfather. The last main lunar flight, Apollo 17, was launched. And after 20 years, the war in Vietnam was still going on. Got it yet? Here's a final clue that should give it away. In June of this year... Five White House operatives are arrested while breaking into the offices of the Democratic National Committee in the Watergate office building. Yes, my friends, the year was 1972. Cutting-edge fashion included his and hers jumpsuits, platform shoes, and front-slit dresses. And you were there. The New York Times reported on a 22-year-old man in Warsaw who pulled off a robbery by posing as a store mannequin until the business closed. He stood motionless with his arm outstretched, holding a shopping bag between two other actual mannequins <laughs> until the store closed. <laughs> well, apparently no one detected the gambit, and once the store closed, he was able to fill his shopping bag with jewelry and escape. In a separate incident, he entered the shopping center after closing and ate a meal at a closed bar. He then changed into a new set of clothes at another store and escaped under the store's partially open gate. 
Later, he returned to the bar for a second meal. <laughs> the man obviously wasn't concerned with getting caught. But he was, and now he faces up to 10 years in prison. His defense attorney should stress that his client exposed the lack of security in the shopping center and should be due a reward rather than a sentence, huh? Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine holding your arm out straight with a shopping bag for an hour? No, I can't imagine holding my arm out for anything except maybe begging for money. Yeah, maybe sitting in a recliner for an hour. I could do that. <laughs> As you must know by now, the old dogs have a fondness for boomer nostalgia. Each of our episodes has a trivia game based on our long life experiences. We thought it was just fun. Ah, but a recent Time magazine article touted the health benefits of nostalgia. For example, it helps us feel more connected to others. Research also suggests that it can help us find meaning in life, increase self-esteem, and make us happier. The article did not mention the biggest benefit of nostalgia. It allows us to brag to our grandchildren about how our young lives were much more challenging and fruitful than theirs as we trudged to school in six feet of snow carrying 30 pounds of books in high heels and backwards. If you need more convincing, there is a book coming out soon titled Past Forward, How Nostalgia Can Help You Live a More Meaningful Life. It may give you more things to talk about with the grandkids, if they can listen to you without rolling their eyes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I was a boy, I don't know, I try to avoid that. Do you? Do you, do you find yourself reminiscing to your grandkids? No, I don't, because it's, there's always a judgment underneath that, mm -hmm. like, you're wasting your life. I sure didn't. <laughs> so, no, I try, I try really? to avoid that. Yeah, good idea. More airline travelers are doing a carry-on and a personal item like a backpack to avoid luggage checking fees. Ah, but this means that overhead bins can fill up quickly. So the Washington Post published an article on civilized tips for sharing storage space on a plane. First of all, make sure your carry-on is the right size for your airline. Don't try to force a bag that's too big into overhead storage. Check it. And when you divide your things, make sure that items you will use during the flight, like medicine or headphones, are stored in your personal item. Also, don't be a bin hog. It's a community space. So just put your carry-on above and wait to see if there's room before adding your coat, your hat, your laptop, or a large bag of souvenirs. And use a bin near your seat to avoid swimming upstream when you <laughs> land. And here's some common courtesy pointers. Ask before moving someone's stuff overhead. Offer to help fellow passengers if they're having an issue with lifting their luggage overhead. And wait your turn to unload your carry-on when landing. Now, none of these suggestions guarantee a painless flight. You may still end up in the middle seat between two NFL <laughs> linemen, but at least you will have the comfort of knowing that you haven't added to the stress of airline travel. Yeah, it's so easy, isn't it? Just, uh, yeah, so do you tend to cram all your stuff into the overhead bin? No, I usually have just the one thing and then something to put under my uh, the, the seat in front of me. Uh, pretty accustomed to doing just the two things. Our friend Kathy Beale is an avid astrologer, gastronome, and reporter on the weird side of life. She's famous for her columns on what's happening in places you're not likely to go to yourself, and for her first book, Eat, Drink, and Be Wary. 
She has now written a second book called Confessions of a Third-Rate Goddess, Traipsing Through a World Gone Weird. Our guest today is certainly a favorite for Jim and I, Kathy Beale, who was featured in an interview about three years ago and did an end-of-the-year review that was wonderful um, in, uh, what was last year, wasn't it, Jim? Yeah. Okay. He doesn't talk much. No. I get yes and no from him. Yes. Kathy has a brand new book out. It's called Confession of a Third-Rate Goddess, Traipsing Through a World Gone Weird, which um, your whole world seems to have been weird. Well, that's true. I'm a natural-born magnet for weird, mm. but it really getting severely weird happened during the time period that this book covers. Really? Well, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of a, uh, a frame of reference yeah. for the book? This is an anthology of columns that I wrote for the Houston Press and all kinds of what is now called creative nonfiction, uh, narratives, diaristic entries, just rants uh, that were in my zine, Ladies Fetish and Taboo Society, compendium of urban anthropology. Uh, despite the title, uh, I did have a high enough presence in the national underground in the 90s in the zine world that the first time that I showed up at Burning Man, I was actually recognized and people found my campground. So, uh, you know, very minor celebrity here. It was reviewed in the Voice Literary Supplement and things like that. So late 80s into about 2000, 2002, uh, I, I uh, wrote diaristic stuff a lot because it was a coping mechanism. I was living in Montrose in Houston for much of this, and I had an incredibly indulgent editor at the Houston Press who would let me go on about whatever caught my interest and floating around various inner city arts communities uh, in Houston certainly led to lots of fodder for Houston Press columns, and at the same time, I was writing this zine just about whatever was going on and things that I saw, and I had certain running topics. This is largely related to relationships and alternative arts and traveling statues and various appearances of uh, Jesus in my life. Kathy, for the benefit of those who don't understand that term, could you quickly explain what a zine is? What what function a zine does? Oh, absolutely. It's short for magazine. Zine yeah. is a self-published rag. Essentially, uh, it's a it's been a, a factor in the literary and arts world since I think the 30s, and often it's just it was originally just done on copy machines, maybe or stuff cobbled together. And my first issues were actually things that I cut and pasted and stole and things like that. Uh, so a zine is whatever the creator wants it to be. Some people have political manif manifestos. Some people were focused on very, very bizarre topics. Like I ran into one guy whose zine was only about New York City subway lines. And he had many issues on that. Um, and there was in the 90s, I don't know what the situation is now, but in the 90s, there were several periodicals that were clearing houses of all this weirdness. And there were there was like a catalog listings and you get descriptions of whatever the latest issue was and contact information. So people started trading 
zines across the country. And I got to know a number of people extremely well, including the person who is my webmaster, has been for years, uh, the co-author of my first book I met through the zine world. Um, It was just a playing ground, a playing ground for creativity. One more bit of background, and that is you are going to continue to um, refer to events in your life as weird And I'm going to make an assumption here that uh, since uh, we all grew up in the 60s, we know weird, right? So I think you're talking to the right audience here and and allowing some people maybe to dig deep into their past that they've done their best to forget. So (laughs) I'm looking to you to resurrect all of that for us. Happy to. Actually, I would would like to make a point and and, uh, tell me some more, Kathy. This is not a, a nostalgia book. Oh, no. Although it is set in a certain period of time, uh, it is really your, um, let's say, the musings of your wandering mind. Yes. Set among the fringe dwellers who happen to be in Houston, but those fringe dwellers could have existed in any city, probably USA. Probably. It's a fun read. It is. And uh, uh, we would highly recommend it. Um, You you have... uh, you enjoy words. Yes. So it's if, if any of our readers out there enjoy language that kind of dances around, it's just lovely, this would be a good read for you. Uh, for others that don't enjoy that, it would uh, help you fall asleep at night. So we would say it has utility no matter what your interests are. I understand my writing is very good bathroom reading. <laughs> I've been told that. I, I tell you what I would like to do, to give people kind of a sample of uh, what's in your book, w- would you uh, please read a passage for us? I would appreciate it. I will read Goddesshood Revealed, because this is not a random title. Uh, third-rate goddess is something that was at one point actually on my business card. Okay, this is Goddesshood Revealed. As I walked into a party last fall, I heard my name being invoked two rooms away. The voice belonged to the sole Christian minister in a gathering largely of Goths, Babylon 5 freaks, and neo-pagans. All I caught was something about my being a third-rate goddess with shrines in Poughkeepsie, New York, and several other cities with goofy names. Sweeping into the room, I took issue with the locations, and I demanded, what do you mean, third-rate? Well, Hera would be a first-rate goddess, Reverend Jeffrey explained, while a second-rate would be along the lines of Persephone. So a third-rate goddess, I butted in, would be a goddess in the flesh? (laughs) Exactly, he laughed. Later in the proceedings, our host shared chocolate he'd picked up in a duty-free shop. It's evil, moaned one guest. Reverend Jeffrey elaborated, it's the best kind of evil. Evil that can't serve you with a subpoena, I shot back. The minister dropped to his knees and bowed to his newly anointed deity. Everyone howled. Then we went back to the more important business of eating chocolate. <laughs> nice. nice. Uh, so, so you also mentioned in the book at some point that you didn't seek th- uh, these uh, fringe folks out. You attracted them. You... <laughs> You think you are a magnet for the uh, uh, for the fringe dweller. Is that been your experience? Natural born magnet for weird. Oh, oh yes. 
<laughs> Let me give a tiny bit of background here. All right. I started my upbringing was on the fringe of normalcy. And I went to a, a very normal high school. If you saw my resume, where I went to high school, where I went to college, where I went to law school, you'd think, wow, this is one, you know, sorority oriented conforming person new. But uh, in the middle of my 20s, it became clear that following what was everybody else's life path simply was not going to work for me. And I actually got very, very ill uh, right before I left my law firm. And I will say one third of my law firm had the same gastroenterologist. So I wasn't the only one who was uh, suffering from this. So once I became a self-employed attorney, I decided all bets are off. I'm going to just do whatever I feel like. And I that's when the dual career multi-hyphenate stuff started. And I was a an early volunteer at the Orange Show Foundation, the uh, visionary folk art environment. I was one of the founders of the eye openers tour, bus tours of environmental folk art. In fact, I came up with the word and eye openers for it. Uh, I worked Orange Show benefits. I started singing in various uh, church choirs that did major choral works. And then kind of gravitated to the fringes of the gay community, not because I'm gay. Everyone thought I was. I am not gay. I'm an honorary gay man. I do have the certificate. <laughs> <laughs> and and then started doing uh, theater. And most of it was on stages where the roof would leak and very strange plays. <laughs> so I would say that the alternative theater community had some of the more outrageous people in it. So what have you been up to lately? Besides publishing this book, this has been a lot of it. Most of my life these days uh, is uh, taken up with uh, the aspect of the hyphenates that has dominated my life for about the last decade, which is astrology. I uh, I am a counselor. Uh, I uh, write forecasts with um, from the perspective of this is how this these are all these symbols playing out around us and ways we can navigate. I call it astrology you can use. It's not fatalistic. It does definitely take a really strong uh, unspoken Jungian approach to things. And um, it's kind of all-consuming, actually. Oh, practical astrology. Yeah, like watch these archetypes playing out in your life and how can you interact with them. Uh, let me get straight about that. Are you talking about consulting with individuals or are you putting out information that anyone can use to kind of navigate the current uh, world scene? Both. Hmm. I have a, I have a, uh, I have a client base that's all over the world, but then I also have a lot of information freely available online. I have a YouTube channel called professional aquarian because of that's the hyphy, the multi hyphenate part. And a website, empowermentunlimited.net, where I have way too many free forecasts. And they're all kind of sassy. And my weekly podcasts always have a homing thought, a song, and an image of the week. And the songs of the week are really heavily weighted toward Boomer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sassy. Sassy is a good description. Yeah. That should be on your business card also. Uh Yes. You can need a pretty big business card, maybe. <laughs> well, if you want some more of the sassy Kathy Beal, uh, the book is Confessions of a Third-Rate Goddess Traipsing Through a World Gone Weird. And you're not going to take responsibility for the world. You, you encountered it, correct? I 
instigated some of, some of it over here. here. <laughs> <laughs> I do own up to having instigated some of it. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.